Well, like Chip mentioned, we're beginning a brand new sermon series. We're going to go through First and Second Peter, both of those letters over the next few weeks. And I want to encourage you to, as we go through this, we're going to go through uh, each, each chapter of each of those letters, uh, but not every single, we're not going to go through every single word of every single verse of, of, both, of both letters. And so what I want to encourage you to do is, in your Bible reading time and your prayer time throughout this week, I just want to encourage you to read along with us. So for this week, you can read 1 Peter chapter 1, and you would be in the text that we're in for this Sunday. Uh, it's a quick read, so you could read the next chapter if you wanted to. I mean, honestly, it would take you about 15 minutes to read through both chapters, maybe, maybe 20, 30, depending on how, you know, how quickly you have your audiobook turned on. You know, turn, turned on. And, uh, and you can do that and read along with us. Uh, I would encourage you to do that. So the Apostle Peter, who, as Chip mentioned, is one of Jesus' closest disciples, uh, is sending out these two letters to Christians who are scattered all over the known world at this time throughout the Roman Empire. And they're scattered for a couple different reasons because that's where they live. And it's because as people were told about the gospel and as they experienced Jesus in Jerusalem and then went home, they began to tell other people about the good news. And so those other people said, all right, I'm in too. I want to follow Jesus. Like this sounds, this sounds amazing. Let's do the same thing. And so there are Christians and there are churches scattered all over the place at this time of Peter writing these letters. And so he's sending these out as encouragement to these Christians. Uh, in the meantime, you got to understand that this is a pretty new time in the history of the church. I mean, these are early Christians, and so they need authoritative leadership to answer questions about what it looks like to live out their faith practically in their families, in their communities, in their workplace, in the Roman Empire, and what, what that looks like, especially because these were antagonistic places for them to live out their faith. And so you had men like the Apostle Peter who were set apart by Jesus to say, hey, you're going to authoritatively lead and help start the church. You're going to be answering these questions in the way that you answer them as you're guided by the Holy Spirit is going to be authoritative for, for the church. And so this is, this is, what is what, what's happening. Um, with phrases, as you read through 1 Peter the, the first letter with phrases like in these last times and the end of all things is near and after a little while will himself restore you. Peter's encouragement in his first letter to these scattered Christians is that come what may, even when it seems like the end is coming and near, even in times of suffering, we can be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Because those moments, those moments of suffering, the moments that seems like the end is near, peel away the distractions from what God has saved us from and saved us to. And so I want, I want you to think about, you know, the title of this sermon series is Come What May. I want you to think about, just real quickly in the back of your head, what are the things in your life that are sure bets? What are the things that you know that come hell or high water, come what may, no matter what, you know that that's going to be there. Like that thing is a solid foundation in my life. It's, it's never going to go away. I've noticed that as I get older, my list gets a little bit smaller is what I think are surefire things. I mean, who ever would have thought just a little while ago that there would ever be no more Saturday morning cartoons? Like, like I, just, I just knew, like, as a kid, that's, that's always going to be a thing. I'll share that with my kids, you know, all that, that kind of thing. There are no more Saturday morning cartoons. Who would have ever thought the one place where a kid could be a kid is gone? There is no more Toys R Us. 
And some of, some of you maybe don't even know the joy of what it meant to like go into Toys R Us and your, your parents be like, hey, you can, you can pick a toy out, you know, or, or that kind of thing, just to be able to look in to- Toys R Us. How many, how many of you remember fax machines? I think, I think maybe still, there's still some government you know, uh, entities that still want you to fax things in and haven't figured it out. Like, they, they just don't exist anymore. And who would have thought that would have happened? Do you remember learning the card catalog for the library? You remember how important that was and how life-changing you know, th- this information, you, know, you can access anything in the library. Now, now we really don't uh, need it. You know, I think the problem with education today can be traced back to the elimination of the overhead projector. I mean, you just have not, you know, until, until your teacher was like flipping, you know, flipping slides and writing stuff with, with a marker and stuff like that, you just haven't, haven't really experienced it. I can't remember the last time I bought a roadmap. That used to be something that was really important. Every year I had to buy an updated uh, roadmap. I used to think that buying a home was a surefire investment. 2008 changed that for us. Uh, we used to have quiet neighbors that lived next to us, and, and now we don't. There are plenty of things that we've all thought that surely these things are things that we can rely on. These are things that we can trust in. They are things that will stay, in the, stay the same, but they change. Um, and, and they're different. And that can be really disconcerting because there are things that happen like that in our life that are much bigger and much more important than the things that, that I mentioned. And it can be disconcerting, but it can also help us appreciate more of the things that do stay constant. During both the highs and lows of our lives, there are things and people who, come what may, are steadfast, they're immovable, they're trustworthy. They make us better on the other side of whatever we experience in life. And chief among them is God. And Peter begins his letter by praising God for this. So let me read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Keep in mind, as Peter is writing these words, he's giving encouragement to the scattered church, not just for their everyday life, but because most of his audience, as he's writing this letter in that day and age, around A.D. 64, uh, as he's writing this letter, uh, most of the people that he's writing to have a high probability of being persecuted for their faith, by their culture, by their family, and by their friends. And some of the things and relationships that were sure-footed in their lives are now shaken. And the very act of being a disciple of Jesus put them in difficult and dangerous situations. And perhaps we don't talk about the danger of following Jesus quite enough, because it's not something that we experience a whole lot in this life. There's the potential, however, by following Jesus, simply by living the way that God has created us to live, there's the potential for being ostracized, a reality our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ experience in other parts of the world even today. It might harm your career. 
It could change your relationships forever. In fact, it should change your relationships forever. That, that becoming a Christian in and of itself is a rebellion and a revolution against the life the world presumes that it is natural to live. And if we are not experiencing any difficulties or any discomfort and hard choices as a direct result of following Jesus, we might, we might actually be missing, missing the mark. Naturally and totally understandably, we try to avoid difficult things in our life. It, it totally makes sense. It, um, but it's one thing to avoid difficulty caused by the consequences of sin and a whole other thing to avoid difficulty by doing good, namely following Jesus and being obedient to God's word. And this is the category that these Christians have found themselves in. They're doing good. They're following God's word, and yet they're suffering grief from all kinds of trials, as Peter mentions in this first chapter. And yet, when we do go through those difficulties, they are not an indicator that we are getting our faith wrong. There is a presumption that many people make that if things aren't going right in our life, then that means that, you know, there's something, there's something wrong with our faith. Or there's something wrong with our relationship with God. Well, it depends on what it is. Many uh, make the evidence that our faith being healthy and growing is that our lives are filled with blessing associated only with good things, and that's not always the case. And in fact, some of the most important life-changing moments of growth in our faith comes from times of suffering. To take it even further, there are places in our life that we will not grow in if we do not face the grief of that suffering. Now, Listen, Peter is not suggesting at all, and you can continue to read his letter, he's not suggesting at all that Christians were masochists, like, yay, we're being persecuted, hooray, we're in pain and suffering. Let's look forward to that. Like, how can you make yourself in pain and suffering today so you can grow in your faith? Um, that, that's not the point. But instead, rather uh, recognize the refining process for what it is, is what he's encouraging them to do, to do, and that spiritual growth doesn't only happen when we feel good. It's, it's bigger than that. It includes much more in our life. Though we might go through a fiery ordeal with the right mentality and perspective, an eternal perspective, we can see how that process brings to surface the impurities, the wrong thinking, the places in our faith where we need to grow, what needs to be removed in our life, or what is holding us back from rejoicing in the living hope that we have. When something is precious to us, we refine it. Uh, with gold, for example, we melt it down to skim the foreign material off of it so it becomes more valuable. With a car, we wash and we polish and we wax it. With our bodies, we get rest, we exercise, we eat well. With our homes, we clean and we organize. With our minds, we read, we ask good questions, we're interested in things outside of what we already already know. We, we refine ourselves. Now, refined food, that's a whole other thing. We're not going to talk about that. And, and, you know, none of us do all these things perfectly all the time. Sometimes, um, sometimes it's okay for us to have outside motivation, for us to help us do these things better, to move beyond stagnation, or, you know, the thinking that oh, things are just good enough because we're just kind of sitting here in, in, in the rut of our life, or, or maybe we just have a wrong focus that needs to be corrected into that which is most beneficial for us to experience in life. So with that in mind, let me, let me just reread, and close your eyes if you need to. I'm going to read it a little bit more slowly, just a small section of what I, what I just read from 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible 
and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, early Christians knew and lived and experienced that belief in Jesus wasn't contingent upon what level of comfort that they received in life, but instead the peace of knowing that their belief in the truth would be justified by the salvation that was ensured by Jesus' death and resurrection. The same is true for us. None of them were excited about persecution, and I would suggest that none of us should be excited about persecution either, but they needed this encouragement that what they were going through wasn't evidence that they were doing things wrong or that God had abandoned them or that things were you know, not right between them and the Lord. On the contrary, in facing those trials, those, could be, those things could be leveraged to do something right, to remind us of the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And when we allow our trials to refine our faith, our trust in Jesus produces joy. Again, I, and I feel like I need to reiterate this because the focus a lot of times is, is on the trial or on the suffering. And it's not that we're celebrating that. Yay, I get to suffer, right? Uh, like that's, that's not the thing. But what we celebrate and what we look forward to is the end result of that, that God calls us to be good in us, that he's willing that all of us experience his goodness for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That, that our joy, you know, it's not like, yay, someone's threatening my life for following Jesus. Finally, I've got it right. You know, that, that's not necessarily the thing. But that our joy comes from knowing that those things do not hinder what God promises. And I think that's where we get stuck the most. It's, it's, it's we get this trial or the suffering and this pain, it becomes huge in our visions. The only thing that we can see, we can't see beyond that. And, and, and what Peter is encouraging these followers of Jesus to do is, is not miss the fact that these things do not keep us from the promises of God, that, that God will always fulfill those things. So a refined faith recognizes trials and suffering for what they are, opportunities for a hope to grow stronger. Peter goes on to say this in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. As a preacher, one of the things that I've noticed that is a prevalent pattern in our lives, and I'm not just talking about other people, I'm talking about me too, I'm talking about all of us as, as human beings. Um, but one of those patterns that's pretty prevalent is failing to make the distinction between why things happen in our life. Believing that God is in control, for example, is not the same as believing that God is causing everything to happen in our lives at every moment. And here's where this matters in relation to trials and suffering grief. Sometimes we suffer because we are being faithful. And, and it's important for us to be, a certain, to be alert, to be sober-minded, for us to recognize that we're pursuing our be obedience to God, and that's what matters most. And sometimes we suffer for that. Okay, that's, that's, that's fine. Our faith is being refined. That, that's, that's great. But sometimes we suffer because the world is being unfaithful. And so it's, it's not necessarily the things that we're doing, but things that are happening around us. And yet other people we can't control. And they make wrong decisions that affect us, and sometimes that happens. But sometimes we suffer because we've been unfaithful. 
Evaluating this and praying for God to give us wisdom and direction from the Holy Spirit is a foundational principle for refining our faith. And I've had enough conversations where there's this disconnect between recognizing that when we've been unfaithful and have sinned, the mental, emotional, and physical consequences we face are not God out to get us. It's not God making these things happen. It's, oh, I'll teach you. You know, I'm, I'm going to get you now because you sinned. And here are the things. No, they are the inevitable conclusion of sin. And this is what God wants us to be able to avoid in our life, which is why he causes, calls us to be obedient. Why he says to be holy as he is holy. Does it mean we're perfect every time? No, but man, we, we ought to be trying something different than just our natural proclivities that we have in this life and the world has, has around us. In these scenarios, when I hear, I don't know why God is giving me this trial, for example, I'm thinking, you can't blame God for that one. Like that, no, when we sin, we face the consequences of those actions. And so it's not, not a position in which we're like, oh, I'm gonna blame God for this because he's making this thing happen in our life. No, we did all that on our own. And yet, he still gives us grace and mercy. This is different from trials that are a result of us being faithful to God's word, holding what might be unpopular beliefs and actions that glory, glorify and honor God over anything else in this world. Again, this is less about God forcing us through the gauntlet, but us recognizing that he's given us the strength and ability to stand our ground on the firm foundation of Jesus. In this talk about obedience and being holy in this section of chapter 1, Peter is identifying the contrast between how we lived before Jesus and how we live after Jesus. May our trials and the grief we suffer be the result of faithfulness and not unfaithfulness. That's the goal. Our hope in God's grace is revealed in our pursuit of his holiness. And that's how we experience that living hope that Peter is encouraging these followers of Jesus with. Regardless of where we find ourselves in this world, we are strangers in a strange land. And that matters in the long run. And what matters in the long run is how we've let the grace of God inspire our faithfulness to him, not how well we fit into the culture that we are surrounded by. There's only one thing in this life that will last. And as our faith is refined through the trials that we face in this life, the suffering of grief that are inevitable uh, and will come, and the hope that we respond to them with, Peter gives this, this reminder. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. There's one thing that we can always rely on, that we can always hope in, that we can always turn to, and that is the enduring Word of God. When everything else fails us, when every other person fails us, when every other friend fails us, when every other situation fails us, that's the one constant that we can trust will lead us to God's promises and the way that He has created us to be able to experience life. It will produce the greatest expression of love in our lives because we will be freed from all other distractions. When, when our faith is refined, what it does is it frees us to love deeply and to love resolutely in our lives. Have you ever noticed how people who are insulated from any consequences in your life, some of us, some of us know people like that, maybe, maybe we are that person, but you, knew, you grew up with some kid that never got in trouble, like their parents never punished them for anything, they, they got to do whatever they wanted to do, but insulated from the consequences of their actions, later on you ever notice how they're not real great at making life decisions? 
because they keep touching the hot stove. Like, because nobody, nobody told them that, hey, that, that's probably not a good idea, and here, here's why. It's like, ow, ow, I don't know why God's doing this to me. Ow, ow, you know, that's, that's, not how, that's not how it works. We understand how being sheltered from suffering isn't always a good thing. At some point, suffering teaches us something about ourselves and the world around us. And, and I, I get that sometimes for some people that lives to bitterness and anger and stress and anxiety. For others, though, it provides the chance to untangle ourselves from some of the lies that we've been told and we bought into and experience why the truth matters. Let me give you a silly example. There's this movie that a couple of my kids have been wanting to watch. And, uh, and I've put it off, and I was like, L- listen, I, I went and saw it, because we, we preview stuff before we let our kids uh, watch it, because that's the wise thing to do. And, um, and we, we do that, and I watch it, and I said, look, look the issue is, it's just not a great movie, and you're not going to like it. it. It's not good, and so you really should just not worry about it, and just move on. But you know how it is. We all remember what it's like to be kids, because we're the same as adults. No, I want to do it. You know, come on, let us watch it. We really want to watch it. We really want to watch it. Okay, fine. It's not that big of a deal, you know, let, let's watch it. Three quarters into the movie, what do you think I hear? I don't like this movie. Like, it, it's, it's not great. And I did what any other good dad would do in that situation. And I said, I told you so. <laughs> um, but by that experience, however, I do hope, because they had to suffer through a bad movie, um, that they trust a little more that I really do have their best interests at heart. And even in something as as insignificant as a movie, like I, I, do, I do care about how they, how they experience life and, and, and how that works. Now, one little caveat, like it, it's not wise to do that with everything as a parent. It's not like, hey, I'm gonna send them off drinking with their friends so they can see what it's like, you know, to face that consequence, you, you know, those, those kinds of things, obviously, um, so they can learn their lesson like that. But, but as, as, as a father, and as God is our father, some, sometimes there are things that you know, we do on our own where we have to experience the consequences of those things because they teach us. They teach us about what it means to be holy and why it matters for us to be obedient, to love the truth, and to rest on our living hope. When it comes to sin or rejecting the truth, we prioritize being holy as God is holy so that we are free to be like Jesus because there are so many things that we've experienced in our life that are hindrances to that. So, So when we don't care about holiness, when we don't care about obedience, we enter into things in our life. We call them mistakes, but a lot of times they're sin, and we face the consequences of those things, and then we have to deal with those consequences. And that distracts us from the life that God has called us to live, and that is to be able to experience and share deep and abiding love with one another and and with Him. We are free when we are pursuing holiness as God is holy to be like Jesus and to have space in our lives for what we were created for, and that's love. Being refined is a good thing. It creates more value, gives us better appreciation, draws into focus what really matters and what God is doing about it and has always done about it. When we suffer grief through trials, when we are walking through the fire, let it be a reminder of the pursuit of holiness that each and every one of us are in um, and the joy we look forward to because Jesus has saved our souls. And that supersedes anything else that we might experience this side of heaven. Let us not compromise the imperishable for the perishable. It is better for us to suffer temporarily for righteousness and love deeply than for us to hide and have people in the world suffer eternally and miss out on love. 
And as the more angry and bitter the world around us becomes, and it is and has been, the more we must be prepared to allow those things to melt away in our lives and be replaced by genuine and abiding love. The last few days have been a testament to that need. And yes, I'm, I'm subtweeting the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. While some are despairing and others are celebrating over scored political points and so many other varied reactions in between, the underlying problems and issues at the core still remain. And the work to which we've been called and the church that has been, has been participating in since the beginning because don't let anybody steer you wrong. Christians have led the way in healthcare and hospitals and adoption and foster care, and it continues to do that. He hear me on this. An unrefined faith takes cheap shots and engages in the anger and the bitterness. A refined faith walks with others through the suffering and loves them through it. They're willing to put themselves in the path of suffering so that they can love deeply. And so let me encourage you, these words that Peter is giving to this persecuted church, it's, it's not any different for what it means for us today. Because we have the opportunity in the next week, in the coming days, and for the rest of our life, there are gonna be plenty of opportunities for conversations that are difficult, that are painful for other people, that, that put us in a place that might not be very popular with others and with the world around us. And in those moments, let me encourage you to love resolutely, deeply love in word and deed, even if it causes you to suffer for doing right and for doing good in those moments. And take some time this week to decide how you're going to do that practically. And think about what is my reaction and what is my response and what am I going to do in word and deed to live out and show the love that Jesus has shown us through his death and resurrection for the salvation of our souls so that we might be able to live within God's love forever. Let's pray. God, we praise you for being able to be in, the, in, this, in this place together, in this world together, when, when people, are, people are angry and they're going back and forth at each other, and, and yet we get, to, um, we get to be above all that. Not because we in and of ourselves are superior, but because you are and because you have, you have saved us from ourselves. And by being above it, it doesn't mean that we get to look down on other people, but it's because we get to reach down in love to help other people come up with us. God, help us to, help us to live that out practically. Help us to think about life in terms of your kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world. Help us to celebrate wisely. Help us to mourn intentionally. Help us to love in action and in deed and in word in the same way that Jesus does. God, help us to see beyond the grief of our suffering through the trials that we might face, face in this life. To see how you are refining us how, how it's proving out the genuineness of our faith and, and why it produces a joy that is almost, almost unexplainable because we know that you are in control, that we know that you have saved us. We know that we have something far greater to look forward to 
in eternity with you than anything that this world has to offer. God, empower us with your Holy Spirit to live these truths out, to be mindful of them, to recognize um, that nothing can separate us from your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.